Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my show. I'm your host, Diana Bevoros, award-winning and best-selling author, Fire and Ice, The Journey of Transformation and the Wide Within. You can find out more about me on my website, dianabevoros.com, as well as download today's podcast and the past podcasts and uh, learn about amazing people and use the tools that has helped them grow their business and become successful in life. And today we have an amazing guest. Her name is Wama Sutrim Alione. She's founder and resident of Lama Aftara Mandela. She's author of Women of Wisdom and Feeding Your Demons. Born in New England to an academic publishing family, she traveled to India in her late teens and was ordained as a Buddhist nun at the age of 22 by H.H. the 16th Camp. Kar, Kar Mapa. She was the first American to be ordinated as a Tibetan Buddhist nun in the Karma Kakui lineage. And she is with us today and she is going to share her journey with us in her new book. So, hi, Lama Sultrim Alioni. How are you today? Mm, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> Can you tell us about yourself? Um, about your journey, why did you decide to go to India? What made you do that? Yes, I I met the Tibetans through a book, actually by Dr. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist. Um, I met that book when I was a teenager, and it had a Tibetan mandala on the cover. And I was really fascinated by that um, image of the mandala, uh, which is a template of wholeness and is highly developed in the Tibetan tradition. And so I was looking at the book. It was on a table in, at the Harvard Co-op in, in Harvard Square in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I was just looking at the cover, which has the mandala on it, and it was as though I went into the mandala and just looking at the cover of the book. And then I I ended up buying the book, and it had more Tibetan mandalas inside, as well as other images. And that plus my grandmother, who was a professor of philosophy, giving me my first book on Buddhism when I was 15 years old, uh, stimulated my interest in Asia and, and in particular Buddhism. And then I went to India when I was 19 with a college friend of mine 
whose father was the consul general, the American consul general in Calcutta. And so we went to Nepal and we met Tibetans there. And then we, uh, my friend stayed there and I traveled across India hitchhiking with a friend of mine, a, a Japanese traveler, and we traveled to Dharamsala where the Dalai Lama was. And that's where I I really met Buddhism was in that time in Nepal and, and India with, with the Dalai Lama. Were you able to meet with Dalai Lama? Uh, I didn't meet with him that first time, but I've met with him many times since then. Yeah. Uh, in the early days, you know, in India, it it wasn't very difficult to meet the Dalai Lama because he was very interested in Westerners. He didn't have a uh, great uh, kind of level of fame that he has now. And so he was much more accessible than he is now. But even now I had lunch with him few years ago and yeah I've I've had a connection with him since then and so that was 1967 it was a long time ago and then I returned in 1969 overland from London uh, at the time when you could make uh, that trip and go through Afghanistan and Pakistan and so on those uh, those countries that we couldn't think about going through now and could go through them uh, overland and then return to Kathmandu in, in December of 1969 and then I was ordained as a Buddhist nun in the in the Kargyu tradition by His Holiness the 16th Karmapa January of 1970 so I ended up being the first Western woman ordained by the Karmapa. And I lived as a Buddhist nun for about almost four years, and then I returned my vows and became a mother of three children, actually four children. I lost a child, and... It was really through the death of my daughter that I became interested in women and women in Buddhism because I needed the stories of women after her death, and there weren't any. So my my uh, first book is, is the biographies of six Tibetan women teachers. Can you share some thoughts about this book? Why did you write it? And what, how the message inside this book can help others? My first book? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> My first book is called Women of Wisdom. And it's it's the stories of six women, as I said, six Tibetan women teachers. And then my own story of of finding the Tibetans and what happened with the death of my daughter, Kiara, that led me to this uh, need for the stories of women. 
And then also the introduction covers the history of women in Buddhism. So that book was actually the first book on women of uh, women in Buddhism uh, that was a little bit more contemporary. There were some earlier ones uh, in early in the 1900s, but this was a little bit more contemporary. And my personal story was very moving to people, which was sort of a surprise for me. I, I wrote a personal preface about why I'd written the book, and many people said to me, you know, I love those stories of the Tibetan women, but I really, what touched me most was your story. And so I think the book has several, uh, I guess you could say, themes and purposes. One is an understanding of women in Buddhism, and then the biographies of, of these women. And, and their stories, how did they meet the path? How did they become enlightened? What was their uh, teaching career or what happened to them? And, and many of them are quite dramatic. There was one in Women of Wisdom who was actually beaten to death by her husband. And she, I, what we would call, went into a coma, but it's described in a different way in the Tibetan tradition where she becomes what's called a rolang, which means that she she dies and comes back. And uh, she sees all, all different people and she receives teachings and so on while she's in this uh, coma. And then she comes back and she recounts what she's experienced. So there's a lot of uh, quite dramatic stories in the book. And I think, you know, the other thing about Women of Wisdom was that I started to research the whole idea of women's spirituality and question our current world religions who are all, which are all created by men for men and which women participate in with permission at various degrees. And so I asked the question, what would spirituality be like if it was created by women for women? How would it be different? Would it be different? And those were questions that were new to me and that I was very interested in asking in the book. And so I studied, and as part of writing the introduction, the movement that was at that time happening in this country, in the United States, of women's spirituality and, and women really reclaiming spirituality from the patriarchal churches and uh, exploring what, what it might be if uh, they were creating their own spiritual path that didn't, wasn't mitigated by the church or, or the mosque or the priest or the imam or, you know, whatever um, those patriarchal figures are that women have always had to deal with in, in world religions. Yeah, this is very good point. Very good point because women actually right now are trying to raise their voices. They want to tell the world that their matter and uh, they are getting in touch with their spiritual side so they can get stronger, so they can trigger um, these um, changes in the world and changes in their life 
and uh, because women are in a huge disadvantage right now, and they need to do something about it. They're mm-hmm. experiencing so many obstacles. They're uh, experiencing violence, abuse, so many unnecessary um, things, and they need to find a way to show that uh, their lives matter and who they are matter, and they can give something to this world, especially now when we need a lot of women leaders to to help us trigger the changes we're looking for. Yes, yes, and, and the other thing is that the the fate, if you will, of women and the fate of nature have been parallel historically. And so it's always been that when women have been abused and used, so has nature. And so we're now in this situation in our world today, which we're living in this very moment with this incredible heat that's covering our planet. Uh, the the effects of the abuse of of nature, and we're seeing, and people are really beginning to speak up in things like Time Is Up and um, Me Too movements about the abuse of women, and those have been parallel historically. And when women have been treated respectfully, so has nature. So there's been a parallel situation uh, with women and nature historically. And so part of what I see we need to do is we need to focus on both on both the sort of rehabilitation of our respect for and honoring of nature and also of women. And for me, the the role that I see for myself in all this is providing spiritual tools for that empowerment process that we need to see. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So do you, um, do you feel like if everybody starts looking for um, um, spirituality in the Buddhism, because Buddhism is philosophy, more philosophy than religion, do you think this is going to help them understand the world better and the things which surround us and help us, um, help, us, uh, tran- uh, help us in our road to make the world better place for everybody and preserve everything what is given to us because uh, then everything what we have around us is given to us to enjoy for the short period of time we live on, on this planet. Mm-hmm. Well, I think <clears throat> Buddhism is interesting because it's very realistic. It's not based on faith and having to believe in God or believe in some external power. The Buddha was really uh, teaching a path of inquiry into the nature of reality. And what he discovered are things which science has has now discovered, things like uh, that everything breaks down into partless particles. The Buddha taught that. He And he said that there's no solid self uh, inside us or in objects. So there's no solid sort of discrete entity of, of, for example, a table. When you break it down, it's wood and nails and and perhaps metal and maybe paint. And then when you break it down further, you come to partless particles. And 
those um, partless particles are like molecules. And then he said, even those are empty of any inherent, discrete, separate um, being or self. And, and this is also what science has discovered in quantum physics and so on. So science and Buddhism are, are actually um, not contradictory, and that's unusual for religions. Most religions and science are in conflict in some way. And, in fact, the Dalai Lama said if, if science ever proves anything that the Buddha didn't teach, that he would follow science, but so far that hasn't happened. <laughs> so uh, so there's that aspect of it, um, this, this um, really inquiry into the nature of reality, into the nature of the self, into the nature of our world, uh, and then meditation, which we which we now know has so many beneficial effects, and that people from any religion can really practice Buddhist meditation because it's not based on having faith in something external. It's really just working with the mind, with your own mind. So those those things I really see as beneficial in in terms of Buddhism, and then the the tantric Buddhist path or Vajrayana Buddhism, which didn't develop until around the 8th century, and the Buddha was 500 B.C. Uh, so this was about 1,200 years after the Buddha. The tantric teachings came into Buddhism and formed what's known as Vajrayana. And within that, we have a much more empowered feminine presence. Uh, there were female gurus, uh, and for the first time, images of female Buddhas and and uh, yogini teachers of of both men and women. And so in the tantric period you have this influx of of quite different kinds of methods and teachings that are quite supportive of uh, the sacred feminine and the feminine presence. Can you tell us about your new book, Journey into the Mandawa Empowered Feminine? Um, why are you concentrating on the feminine side? Why is that so um, important? Yeah. Well, I feel that the feminine uh, is it's sort of like the missing piece or the elephant in the room that uh, in terms of all the decision-making bodies in the world – there's a tremendous imbalance in terms of the presence of women in those decision-making bodies. And so this is something that sort of came to me in a time when I wrote Women of Wisdom. And and it, it, once you see those things, it's it's hard not to see them. <laughs> It, it it just seemed it seems so obvious that our world is out of balance, and we see this in nature. Also, our world is out of balance, and so I feel it's absolutely urgent that the feminine, uh, with feminine values, come forward. And of course, we need political equity, and we need equity in terms of a pay and our work, and so on. But we also need to access the full potency of the feminine 
in the spiritual aspect and not just um, how the feminine is defined by patriarchy. And so if we can find that full potency and bring it forward, it's, it's almost like we're walking on one leg right now. As, as human beings, we, we need the feminine, and we need her in her full potency and, and not just how she is defined by and serves the patriarchy. And I feel it's urgent. Uh, it, this came to me, you know, I, I was um, in the late uh, 90s, my, my teacher, my Tibetan teacher, very very wise, very wonderful Lama, um, but he didn't really like me talking about the feminine, and he said, "You're you're too feminist, and that's dualistic, and my teachings are not dualistic, and therefore you have to stop talking about this, or you have to stop teaching under me." And so I actually had great respect for him, and. And at the same time, I felt the urgency of the uh, of the feminine, and so it was a very difficult decision I had to make. And to me, it was always clear that, of course, at the absolute level, the non-dual level, it is beyond gender, and any notions of of gender are really silly and irrelevant. But at the relative level, we we are in this world and there are genders and there's an imbalance <laughs> and and we need both these voices to to live in a good way on this earth and so i went into a retreat a solitary retreat in a cabin on a mountainside in colorado for a year i decided i was just going to withdraw from the world and go into retreat. I I asked permission from my children who were then grown up, and and also my parents and my husband. Uh, not exactly permission, but just would they be okay with this if if I did it? And they said yes. And so, as I was in that retreat over that year, nine eleven happened. Uh, the attacks on the Twin Towers. And I was in retreat, so of course I didn't see the images of the planes running into the towers and and so on. But but my husband came to my retreat cabin and told me what had happened because it was such a a dramatic uh, deal, you know, such a dramatic situation. And I practiced uh, for seven weeks daily, for all those who died in in the Twin Towers and all the families affected by it. And my question was to myself, was where is the strong feminine in the lives of those men who did that? And where is the feminine in the American response to it? And my answer was, it's missing. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I made the decision to, when I came out of retreat, that I was going to continue to talk about the importance of the feminine, uh, 
for our world, and I had to let go of that relationship with with that teacher, uh, at least for a while. It it, it um, we did come back together about 14 years later, in a in a very wonderful way. But I had to, in a way, leave the father's house, if you will, and uh, go out on my own with my belief that this was important. And so I feel quite passionately about it. And what I wanted to deliver in my new book, uh, Wisdom Rising, Journey into the Mandala of the Empowered Feminine, was a method for the empowerment of women and their allies through the mandala of the five dakinis who are embodiments of fierce wisdom in the Tibetan tradition. And I wanted to provide this empowerment, which you would spell I-N instead of E-M, empowerment to give women like you, for example, um, and your listeners, I imagine, an inner tool which they could draw on in, in their outer activities. In other words, we need to have the inner empowerment that's wise and and also fierce in this case, but fierceness with, without anger, with, without um, hatred, to have that to draw on in whatever we do. And so... The book is, is focused on the five Dakinis, five different families, they're called, and their qualities. And they are a transformation of five different emotional encumbered patterns into five wisdoms. And so the book has methods for, for this transformation and also how to work with the elements uh, through integration with the elements and... And to use the mandala principle, which is a template of wholeness, essentially a circle with four quadrants in the center, uh, the mandala of the five dakinis, in order to have that process of empowerment take root within us. Why do you think, talking about women empowerment, the society is not actually ready to understand how pivotal it is for the women to be given permission uh, to lead, to uh, use, use their inner power in order for the, to transform the world. Why so sensitive for everybody, even so in sensitive? the churches? Yeah, it's like a very sensitive topic. <laughs> Well, it implies change, and, you know, most people are not entirely comfortable with change, and it, it empower, it's empowering women, and women have been repressed for a long time, for, for thousands of years, actually. And so uh, turning that around or, or bringing forth the inner power of women and the outer power of women is very threatening on many levels. And uh, so there's there's some fear there of, of what will happen if we let women 
out of the box <laughs> and uh, <laughs> allow them to be fully themselves and and take a seat at the table where the decisions are being made. I think I think there's some fear about it, but it's it's incredible what's happening. The number of women who are running for office now is is huge. And it's big change, even from just two years ago. So there is a change afoot, and I think that it's, uh, you know, women just have to stop asking permission and just do it, do what they're going to do. And that's what I did, you know, after I made the decision um, in 2001 uh, about that the feminine was really important and I wasn't going to just stop talking about it. And and by the way, I'm really looking toward a, a um, society or wishing for a society of partnership. It's not that I want women to take over by any means. <laughs> but anyway, after that happened, I I um, went forward with Tara Mandala, my uh, center in Colorado, that 700-acre center. I didn't know if it would all fall apart when I left my teacher but that opposite happened, and many people came and supported it, and we built this amazing three-story, 12,000-square-foot temple that is dedicated to the sacred feminine and has very beautiful statues of the 21 Taras. Some are fierce, some are, uh, uh, are peaceful, and some are semi-wrathful. And so I think that women just learning they, they don't have to ask permission and that more women support each other. And, of course, uh, the men and, and other uh, genders, gender identifications um, supporting the feminine, however they live it, is, is part of it as well. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Women should start doing something and they should start making a difference in the world and they should start using their trades and in order for us to save the world we live in. My last question for you is this. Um, what is your advice to the world? Is there something you would like to share? Well, my book is uh, contains a lot of what I would like to share, um, the, the journey into the mandala of the empowered feminine, its actual method uh, to do that. And we also have an online course in Wisdom Rising. So those are specific to um, this, this book that's coming came out in May. Um, and... Uh, was actually number one new release on Amazon. And so in terms of the message to the world, I think my message is we need to turn inward and clear our, our uh, obstructed emotions, find our wisdom, and then come forth into the world and act with wisdom and skillful means to to transform our world, to make it better and more compassionate and more whole. Can you share the media places where people will be able to get in touch with you and buy a book? Sure. 
Well, the book is is uh, easily available on Amazon. Uh, it's called Wisdom Rising: Journey into the Mandala of the Empowered Feminine. And then we have a website connected to my center here in Colorado uh, called paramandala.org, and that's spelled P-A-R-A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A-O-R-G. And uh, there's also a webpage for the book called wisdomrisingbook.com. And I also teach online and, and do live webcasts and so on. And I'll be in Europe this this fall uh, for three months, uh, starting in London, September, and then in, in Italy and France and Poland and Germany and Holland, lots, lots of different places. So all that you can find online in my, on the website as well. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you for sharing your stories. Um, I wish you best of luck. Thank you for what you do. And I hope we'll be able to trigger the changes we're looking for because this world needs us more than ever right now. And we are lacking a lot of love in this world. And love is very important. Yes. And thank you for what you're doing, Diana. You're welcome. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.